Ruth chapter 2, please. Now, I just want to give us a bit of a, a recap of where we're at already in this, in this story, in this series. So we have Naomi and her husband Elimelech, and they left the people of God to escape a famine by seeking refuge from that famine with the people of Moab. Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies, and then her two sons, Malon and Kilion, marry women from Moab, who worship false gods and do not consider themselves to be the people of the Lord, the God of Israel. And Naomi's sons then both die before they are able to have children with their Moabite wives, leaving Naomi with no way to have her family's inheritance restored and have the family name last beyond death. So Naomi sets back out back to travel to the people of God, back to the promised land, because she has heard that the Lord has visited his people, once again bringing them bread. Her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, travel with her for the first leg of the journey. But Naomi soon tries to convince them to leave her and to return to their families to continue to worship their gods and to find security and rest and blessing in their old lives. Naomi has no more sons for them to marry, Oprah's convinced, and she returns back to Moab. But Ruth, the young Moabite woman, clings to Naomi and to her people and to her God, seeking shelter under his wings. And that is a beautiful word picture, and that is actually provided for us in the 12th verse of our chapter today in Ruth chapter 2. It's the picture of a young bird in danger or distress, defenseless, and hiding under the wing of a mother bird. This is a very comforting image for those of us who wrestle with fear and worry and even guilt. This young bird's hope is no longer in how able it is to weather a storm or fight off a predator. Its hope is completely in the ability of that mother bird's ability to do those things instead. And so our refuge is in the Lord who is infinite and powerful and wise and eternal. And to seek shelter and refuge in him is to be comforted with the truth that our lives depend on how strong and good he is and not ourselves. And that is an incredible comfort to seek shelter under the wings of the Lord. But it's also a humbling word picture because you're not a knight in this image. You're not a knight. You are a bird, a baby bird a defenseless baby bird. There's really no room for pride in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are defenseless in every single way. You cannot control the future. You can't control the behavior of the people around you. You cannot control the world events which will happen in your life. You can't even add a second to your life. You're also defenseless against the thing that's most important, and that is the justice of God. You stand guilty and have absolutely no plea before God. You have no excuse. You don't have righteousness. You stand condemned for your sin, and you will not stand in the judgment. But the Lord, the God of Israel, who made the earth and heaven, has brought wicked, guilty sinners with no defense for their rebellion against him under the shadow of his wing, and he covers them with his own righteousness And even took their wickedness and endured the storm of his own justice for them in a way that a mother bird takes the brunt of the storm while the baby birds are hidden from the fury of the storm by being covered by that mother bird. And so it is with Ruth, Ruth the Moabite woman, who came to the Lord God of Israel to take shelter in his wings, under his wings, 
So it's a comforting image. It's a humbling one. But it is also, for Ruth at least, it is a costly and frightening one if she would consider whether to do this or not because you cannot seek shelter under Christ's wings while also seeking shelter and hope and rest in other places. Ruth had to forfeit the world. She had to forfeit her life. She had to forfeit all other hopes and confidences, all other comforts for guilt and hope for provision of care. She abandoned hope in the false god Chemosh and all his people for her comfort and for provision. It must have been a terrifying thing for her. Because if the Lord, the God of Israel, didn't give for her a people, didn't provide for her needs, didn't atone for her sin, she would be completely on her own. The things which she gave up would not have given her eternal life. They would have only distracted from her guilt, but they would have given her food and shelter and a measure of protection from enemy armies and starvation. So she gave up much to find refuge under the wing of the Lord, the God of Israel, who made heaven and earth. I want us to read the first seven verses of Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2, the first seven verses, if I can find it here. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go in the field, to the field, and glean after, among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. They answered, the Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. I want us to notice this first point here. I want you to notice the Lord's kindness toward those who have forfeited the world. Ruth is one of those people. Remember, Ruth forfeited her life and hopes for a a living, for food, for shelter, and seeking shelter in the Lord God and his people. And this sacrifice, this giving up, this forfeiting her life was noticed by Boaz, but it's also noticed by the Lord. Ruth gleaned in Boaz's field. She took the place of protection offered by the Lord for the poor by gleaning from what was left on the field because the Lord's strict rules for landowners, no harvesting the edges of the field and no going going over the field twice and no picking up what you have dropped. That is for the poor to labor over and to collect for their own use. And Boaz notices her. She finds favor in his eyes. There was nothing about her to notice that would benefit him. He had no gain. She had no riches or inheritance or even honor or family prestige. Nothing is mentioned about her beauty in this book. She didn't stand out in that way. Him noticing her and setting his affections on her gave him no benefit. But what is it that he noticed? What did he notice about her? Let's continue reading. Verse 8. 
Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they, that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me? since I'm a foreigner. But Boaz answered her, all that you have done, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. So the fact that she left her former life and all its security and pleasures behind to seek refuge in the Lord, that is what Boaz noticed. And it's also what the Lord noticed. She rejected the life as an enemy of God and she received the kindness of the Lord adopting her as his child. And she now embraced life as a child of the Lord. And the Lord is kind toward those who have forfeited the world. Ruth gave up much to belong to the Lord. And he will not disappoint her. As Israel read in our passage from Hebrews today, the Lord is not unjust in noticing those things. He notices this and What she has lost, he will provide in a sweeter and now more enduring way. So brothers and sisters, to come to Christ, it really is to forfeit the world. It means that you count the cost and agree that no matter what the consequences for belonging to the Lord, it would be worth it. Even if it cost you your life, it would be worth it to run to Christ. And some of you have forfeited jobs and promotions. Because to take them would have been to sacrifice integrity or would have hindered your ability to follow Christ. Some of you have lost family members because of the gospel. Now, you are not permitted to reject your family if they are not believers in the gospel. That is gross disobedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. However, some of you, for some of you, family members have essentially given you the ultimatum. You can love the gospel of Jesus without a good relationship with me, or you can have a good relationship with me, but only if you reject the gospel. Increasingly to identify with Christ and his people is to forfeit any real sense of honor in a society which hates him and his commands and his description of what love and justice really look like. So your hopes of looking like a great woman or a great man in this world are evaporating of being respected and honored and embraced. Some have lost friend groups because you no longer can see these people as your confidants and counselors because their advice and influence is directly pointing away from the love of Christ. Now, you still show kindness to these people, but they're no longer those from whom you receive true and full friendship as defined in God's word. We also know that many have lost their lives. Many are now currently in jail forfeiting freedom to know the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is a great cost.
But this one should never be seen as a payment for salvation. That couldn't be further from the truth. The Lord gives salvation in Christ as a free gift, a gift of grace alone. You do not pay in any way, not with good works, not with money, not with suffering. You do not contribute in any way or pay for your salvation. Christ paid that price in full on the cross. But salvation is a turning away from one life to another with better promises. See, if I'm caught in a tornado in a flimsy shack, and I run from that shack to seek shelter in a tornado-proof building, I'm not paying for entrance in that shelter with that shack. I'm giving up that shack for something better. It's not a payment. It's running from something that will be destroyed and running towards something that will endure forever. And if I fall off a boat into icy water and I'm dying of hypothermia and I'm rescued and people give me warm, dry clothes, I have to give up the wet ones in order to wear the dry ones. The wet ones are not a payment for the dry ones. It's simply that I cannot have both at the same time and expect to be warmed and have my life saved. And so it is with what we give up for the sake of the gospel. We do not pay for the shelter we receive from the Lord. The Holy Spirit simply opens our eyes to see how much better this shelter is of Christ than the shelter provided by the world. As good as the shelter is from the world, it will not last beyond death. It cannot meet your deepest needs. It's like salt water which promises more and leaves you more thirsty, more tired, more guilty, more restless than you ever were before. And the Lord notices these sacrifices and they are beautiful to him. They are a pleasing aroma. They are lovely. When your life testifies that his son is more precious than whatever you've lost to gain him, he agrees. His son is beloved to him. And when your life sings of how precious Christ is, he finds that to be the most beautiful music to his ears. He notices and he finds it to be precious. And the Lord, or Ruth gave up much to belong to the Lord. And it was noticed. And the Lord shows her that it wasn't a foolish decision. He provides in kindness what she lost in order to gain him. And he does this through Boaz. Let's move to the second point here. And that's the bountiful provision for the family of God. Did you notice the nature of the provision that God gives to his people? as they forfeit their lives and, and the world and to seek shelter with him. See if you can see some of these things. If you look in Ruth chapter 2, verse 14, let's continue on. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. When she, rose again, when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. And also pull out from, some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned and it was an, about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. The Lord provided food. He also provided, did you notice, protection. He provided for her comfort and kindness. 
He also provided fellowship for her. And that's the significance of a meal in the word of God. Eating together, fellowship and comfort. He gives her now a people. And so he provides for those who seek shelter in him, fellowship and comfort, provision, joy, protection, rest in a people. And he does so abundantly. The amount of grain that she had gleaned that day, she's, remember, she's just picking up what's left over. It's supposed to be just enough to sustain somebody. It was about the same amount that David, when he was sent to his brothers to give provisions for them in the battle, that was about the same amount that David brought. I want us to turn to Mark chapter 10, and we'll see how the Lord does this for his people. In Mark chapter 10, we're going to read it, verse 23. Mark chapter 10, verse 23. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Brothers and sisters, if you've repented of your sin and trusted in Christ alone for your acceptance from God and for freedom from sin and for eternal life, he is eager to demonstrate that it is better to belong to him. He is a better shelter than the world. He is a more bountiful provider than the world. He loves you more than the world does. He gives you better joy than the world does. The greatest measure of this provision, the time when it will be most obvious that the Lord is a better provider and shelter, it will be when the Lord Jesus Christ returns to judge the living and the dead. However, even now, even in this world of suffering, he cares for you and provides for you in the midst of suffering, in the middle of trials, in the middle of persecution, in the middle of sickness, in the middle of pandemic, in the middle of financial instability. He cares for your needs and he ensures that only trouble will befall you that will serve for your ultimate gain. Suffering in your life is only permitted and planned by God if it will protect and increase your eternal, eternal joy in him. And when you look back at the story of your life, when it's all said and done, you will see that it wasn't just wise to run from that shack to the strong shelter. It was abundantly and infinitely more wise to run from that shack, leaving whatever was in that shack behind, to run to the household of God. What you lose is not worth comparing to what we gain in Christ. And he begins to provide lovingly even before he returns, even in this life. He gives us his family. He gives us fellowship with them. He gives us new brothers and sisters and parents and children in the church. His fellowship with us, the Lord's fellowship with us, is made sweeter and more tangible through these people. He provides for all that he calls you to do. And he does so abundantly. You owe yourself to the people whom the Lord adopts. You owe them not simply your donations of money or volunteering, but you owe them your life. 
You are the family that God provides for those who have suffered much loss for the sake of the gospel. So you don't simply come to church for your own benefit, but because you owe the sweetness of fellowship to these dearly adopted former enemies of God who have sought shelter under the shadow of Christ's wings, people from all nations. Cree, Ojibwe, Peruvian, from Moab, from Israel, from Africa, from Brazil, from Holland, from Paraguay, Mexico, Russia, Jamaica, America, Ukraine, Scotland, Guyana. God has provided them to you as his rich provision, but he's also provided you to them as brothers and sisters. This is how he begins to restore what you have given up for the sake of the gospel. So when Ruth comes home to Naomi, she brings back so much grain. As we said, it's an unusual amount. The servants of Boaz were instructed to leave extra for her. Naomi sees this as something which was intentional. She knows this is out of the ordinary. Something is happening here, and she wants to know why. This very inquisitive mother-in-law. Someone is intentionally looking out for her. Someone is intentionally providing for her. She needs to know who this is because she already knows the heart of the man. Now she wants to know his identity. Who is this man? Tell me the identity. Tell me the family. Tell me the name of this man. And we can see these questions coming out of Naomi's mind if we, we look in chapter 2, verse 19. Let's continue on. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she, took her, so she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forgiven the, forsaken the living, living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, this man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with this, his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvest. And she lived with her mother-in-law. Who is this man? Naomi wants to know. This man was not simply a man who could share his wealth with them as charity. He was perfectly suited to be able to restore to this family all that they had lost. Not just share wealth, but redeem their inheritance which they had lost. Here's why. She said, this man is one of our redeemers. When the Lord created Israel and all its families and gave them an undeserved inheritance. Remember, he gave them the land of Canaan as an inheritance. And when he created Israel and all its families, when he created them, he intentionally made them and shaped them in such a way that these families could be redeemed. They could be restored if they lost. If somehow they lost what they had received from the Lord, he created them in such a way, each family, that they could be redeemed. He provided this through the office or the role or the provision of something called a kinsman redeemer. It's a collection of these, uh, of these different roles that you find in the Old Testament law. Kinsman redeemer. 
a representative of a family who could act on their behalf. So in the days before a king, if a family member was robbed of justice by being murdered, a man was appointed to execute justice. This isn't mob justice, but an appointed man responsible for vengeance on behalf of the Lord to restore justice to that family so they wouldn't have to be crying out for justice to be done for their lost family member. He provided a man to represent that family and to bring justice to that family. If a family became poor, either by poor choices or terrible events outside their control, so poor that they had to sell the land which the Lord gave them as an inheritance, a close relative, a kinsman redeemer, could actually buy it back and count as if it would count as if the family itself had bought it back, restoring the inheritance from the Lord. If a family became poor either by poor choices or terrible events and incurred debt and had to sell their labor, essentially debt slavery, to cover their debts, a kinsman redeemer had a responsibility and legal ability to pay off their debt on their behalf and counted it as if they had done it themselves, restoring freedom to that family. If a married man died before having children to pass on his name and an inheritance from the Lord to his children, a kinsman redeemer had the responsibility to marry his widow. And the children born to them would not belong to that redeemer exclusively, but actually to the dead man. They would count as his name continuing. His inheritance that the Lord gives him would then continue past his death. It wouldn't be robbed by death. Essentially reversing death's ability to lose a spot in the promised land. The Lord shaped the families of Israel in such a way that if they lost what had been given to them, they could be redeemed if there was a man qualified and willing to do so. Boaz was this redeemer provided to the family of Elimelech, Naomi, Malon, and now Ruth, who had been grafted in. And so it is with the family of mankind. The children of Adam, Adam's race, one in Adam, one race in Adam, which all the families of the world are part of. This family, humanity, was created in such a way that if it lost what had been given to it by the Lord, they could be redeemed should they be a man provided by God who was qualified and willing to do so. He created us as one people with a federal head who could act on behalf of the people. Adam, the first man, was that man. So when he sinned, so we all did. He perfectly represented us. He was the head that we deserved. What he did, we all would have done. And if all were separate creations and we all fell separately, we couldn't be saved by another. When we fell into sin in Adam, we lost a place in the presence of God. We also lost a position of innocence. We lost eternal life. We lost everything. We became children of the devil. We became enemies of God with hearts which hated God and didn't even want to be redeemed to him. And so our only hope was that God would provide a kinsman redeemer for us, perfectly suited to fill the office of redeemer. But this man would have to be one of us. He had to be a man himself. For example, if Boaz was not of the family of Elimelech, if he gained their lost land, it would be nice, but it wouldn't be back in the hands of the family, even if he let them live on it. 
It wouldn't be redeemed and restored. Or if the DeVries family lost their land and Jeff Bezos bought it back for them to use, it would be nice, but it wouldn't be back in the hands of the DeVries family. The DeVries family would be recipients of charity, but not be truly and fully restored. And so the Redeemer of men had to be from the family of men. But he also had to be somebody who had not accumulated the debt which we have incurred. He had to be without sin. He had to have the incredible store of righteousness and holiness and power to redeem us. So he also had to be God. And Boaz is the redeemer of Elimelech's family. He couldn't be poor and have a debt like them. That wouldn't work. He had to possess what they lacked. And so it is with our redeemer. God promised this redeemer immediately, immediately after Adam's family lost this. Immediately after Adam and all his race fell into sin, he promised this kinsman redeemer. So lovely and ironic, it is poetic justice, actually, that this promise to Adam and Eve, the gospel, the promise of a kinsman redeemer, actually comes in the form of a curse toward Satan. We can see this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Look for this idea of the kinsman redeemer. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. This is actually spoken to Satan. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Did you notice in this promise of a redeemer, he is called the offspring or the seed of the woman, one of her family, one of her offspring. And he alone would be the one to conquer sin and Satan and redeem us. He said, you know, all of them together, all your families, all going to get together and they're all going to destroy Satan. No, one of your offspring will destroy him on your behalf, in our place, our substitute. Notice also that this will cause him to suffer. Though ultimately he would live and the evil one will not. Now Christ is our kinsman redeemer who will restore what we lost in Adam and he will provide much more than what we lost. See, we lost innocence, which is neither disobeying the word of God nor obeying it, just innocence. And instead of innocence, he provides for us righteousness a record of actually having kept the law of God successfully and perfectly. He is God, and in love he was sent by God the Father to redeem all those whom the Father gives to him. Chosen by grace out of all the families of the world, added to Christ as our head, by faith in Christ, and that faith provided by God the Holy Spirit. You cannot redeem yourself. Your guilt against the laws of God has disqualified you. You have a debt. Christ was sinless and he was infinitely righteous. Christ humbled himself becoming a man, joining the human race as our kinsman redeemer to gain what we lost. He is your kinsman redeemer only if you seek shelter under his wings and forfeit all other redeemers, especially yourself.
and your own obedience as your salvation. If you repent of being a sinful enemy of God and all that comes with it and seek shelter in his death on the cross where he bore your sins and debt and the wrath of God for it and then rose again from the dead on the third day. See, he restores and pays back infinitely more than what we lost. It is a glorious thing to find refuge under his loving wing. Such a perfectly suited redeemer was provided by God, and it is the only one provided. He owed us none. He owed us no kinsman redeemer. But he gave us all the kinsman redeemers which were qualified. But there was only one qualified. Only one God who became man to redeem men. So flee to him. The redemption of the family of Elimelech, Ruth, Naomi, along with the incredible love and affection provision which we see, was because the Lord made that family in such a way that it could be redeemed if it fell. And then God provided a man to fill that role, and that man's name was Boaz. No such man was owed to them. It was a gift of God's kindness and an expression of his wisdom and his love. And so it is with the family of men, the human race. In love, he elected a bunch of those fallen, wicked, rebellion-loving humans and provided to us a kinsman redeemer. He gave us to him and him to us even before the world had a chance to fall. A man just like his brothers in every respect, yet without sin. He owed you no such redeemer. You would not have been able to complain if he did not provide a redeemer to restore what you lost. And yet he is offered to you now. It may cost you much. Though he is freely given, it may cost you much to run to him. Repent and believe in him for the forgiveness of your sins. Freedom from them and for eternal life with God as your father. He provides infinitely more than the world. So flee to him and live, no matter what it costs you. When your story, like Ruth's, is in its final chapter, you will rejoice at the gain which God gives to fallen people who flee to his wings. So run, drop all else. Run and do not turn back. Nothing is worth going back or delaying. It will all be lost. It will all be destroyed. But your inheritance, purchased by the precious blood of Christ, cannot perish, and it will not tarnish, and it cannot be stolen, and it cannot even be lost by your own sin because it wasn't won by your righteousness. It is kept in heaven for you where thieves do not break in and where moth and rust do not destroy. Naomi told Ruth, pretty much the biggest understatement ever, this is good when she heard about the kinsman redeemer. Stay close to him and his people. That advice echoes through history to us today. When the, the, when the Lord provides a kinsman redeemer, and he owes you none, but when the Lord provides you a kinsman redeemer, flee to him and stay close to him and his people. Weather the storm with them under the wing of your redeemer. Let's pray. Well, Father in heaven, we are so blessed to be the recipients of your word.
for you to have provided a redeemer to us who certainly deserved none was such a gracious gift. But Lord, you have given him to us and you have promised now that he is ours if we repent and believe in his death and resurrection. Lord, I pray that you would grant that faith and that you would encourage and strengthen and preserve that faith. Lord, we often look back at the things that we have agreed to give up for the sake of the gospel. And there's sometimes pretty tempting to us. Sin, selfishness, pride, perhaps even some good things that we had to give up because people forced us to give them up to belong to you. Lord, open, us, lo, lo, open our eyes to see how each of those things, no matter how wicked they are or how good they are, pale in comparison to the treasure that is ours in Christ. Let us see them for what they are, things that are dust and will return to dust, which cannot endure past death and even now cannot satisfy our souls. And forgive us for looking at these things and even comparing them to your son and thinking it's a close call. And Lord, I pray that you would make us faithful to provide that shelter for those people who have fled to Christ for refuge and who have given up much. Give us the privilege of being those through whom you begin to restore what they have lost. And Lord, I pray that our kinsman redeemer would return soon. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.